Are you a mom or a mom-to-be looking for tips to make wearing your mom hat a little easier? Hoping to become as smart about motherhood as you can be? Then you've found the podcast that leaves you a little smarter than before every time you listen to one of our expert guests. I'm cognitive psychologist and child development specialist, Dr. Amy Moore. Join us on a quest to becoming a brainy mom. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms, brought to you today by Learning Rx Brain Training Centers. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Moore, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you as usual from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where it is about to snow. Early November, it's about that time. Uh, so we've got our heat going, and Terry is not even in a sleeveless shirt today. <laughs> so We are super excited to bring you a conversation with our guest today, Nancy Collier. A longtime student of Eastern spirituality, Nancy is a psychotherapist, interfaith minister, and a thought leader. She is a national speaker on women's empowerment, well-being, and mindful technology, and is a regular blogger for Psychology Today. She's here to share her wisdom from her book, The Emotionally Exhausted Woman, Why You're Feeling Depleted, and How to Get What You Need. Welcome. Amazing. So yes, glad you're and here. Good luck. <laughs> I am and I will say in New York City it is 70 today. So ah! we're flipped here. Yes. Wow. Oh my goodness. Crazy time. Well, yeah, it was 60, it was 65 here yesterday. And so you so that's crazy. Colorado. Yeah. But that isn't that unreasonably warm for where you are? Unreasonably warm. Insanely wow. warm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So but we love it. We'll take the day. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Well, hey, before we dig into this topic that I am personally very excited to hear about, and I am going to probably be taking notes and trying not to cry the whole time, um, I want to hear about you, your life, how you got to where you are today, and what led you to writing this book. So my journey is, as a psychotherapist, I look for I look for trends. I look for things that I'm seeing on a daily basis. Um, and for nearly 30 years as a 30 as a therapist working primarily with women, I have seen um, women become more and more and more exhausted over time. And as an interfaith minister, people come to me for spiritual counseling. Same thing there. And in my own life, I have felt deeply uh, emotionally exhausted as well. And so whenever something keeps coming to me, I have to write a book about it. I wrote a book about anxiety, which I saw in my clients. I wrote it about uh, getting lost in technology, all these different topics. And they come from what I see is a need for help in a particular area. and. With women, what I've seen is that we have this whole self-care market. You know, we're running out and getting our mani-pedis and lavender loofahs and, and all of this sort of thing. And we're slathering up and pampering and adding wonderful, wonderful scents to what is a much deeper core problem. A problem that has to do with a deep depletion, a deep disconnection from ourselves, 
a, a fundamental abandonment of ourselves. And so I'm watching as women are moving more and more towards a way of taking care of themselves that is flawed and not just flawed, but actually exacerbating the problem. So uh, I felt I had to step into this conversation and point us back to what's really going on. It's not just that we're doing too much. Yes, we are. It's not just that we don't say no. It's why. Yeah. Why do we live this way? Why are we so, why does every single woman that I bring this title to, when I was even just forming the book and thinking about it, and I would say emotionally exhausted, without exception, every single woman said, oh my God, I have to buy that book. When is it coming out? When are you writing it? What What's happening? Yep. Yep. And almost every single woman, I would say, with maybe one exception that I've ever asked the question, who's taking care of you, yeah. to uh, starts to cry. So that just has to raise your raise your flag there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that brings us to writing it in to here. Yeah. When you when you said that in your book, um, that women cry when you say who's taking care of you, that so resonated with me. I was having a conversation one night um with my son. And he was saying how his girlfriend was kind of thinking that maybe she needed counseling. And I said, well, everybody needs counseling. Everybody needs a therapist. And he goes, well, who's your therapist, mom? Right. So I spend my days taking care of other people. Yeah. Right. But I don't have a therapist. I don't have a cat. Right. And so, so then it got me thinking, all right, well, who is taking care of my emotional needs? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Like I very, you know, off the cuff said, well, dad, of course, right. Like referring to my husband, but yeah. really because I needed an answer in that moment. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. But, but it's a great question. It's a great question. He asked you because we're, you put the mirror up, right. Worse. Even when we're, talking to dad, your husband there, there is an element that we've been so deeply conditioned into, which is I still have to take care of dad. I still have to take care of my partner when he's listening for me, right? So we need places where it's just about us. And that in our culture is heresy. You immediately get put in the selfish, self-indulgent, oh, it's all about you, right? It switches right away to either or, oh, you don't care about anyone else. The minute you say, I need something just for me, like a therapist who's there to listen to us, right? That, that, that then you risk the judgment and the label that comes with that. So it was a wonderful question because he he made you aware that you don't actually consider yourself also someone who is deserving of full care and full attention. Yeah. Yeah. And it was super insightful for a 17-year-old to call me out like that. Right. Yeah. 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 We loved 
our teenagers because they call us babe spade. They don't let us live in that denial and that falsehood, right? Well, what are you doing for you? It's very strange as women. We're really taught from the moment we can hold up our little heads to be selfless, right? disappear. And then we're valued and we're loved and we're cherished, right? And then we have self-care, but we have self-care for a selfless self. We've gone missing. (laughs) So who are we taking care of? And, you know, we have to become more conscious of how rewarded we are for our disappearance. That your book, everything you're talking about. um, Yeah, I mean, I I read this. I told Amy, I said it earlier uh, that I felt like you just wrote my story. You wrote my struggles, my fears, <laughs> my tears. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to read some things. I'm going to quote you. Okay. Uh, you talk early on in the book, you talk about likability, the cage of likability, the prison that we live in as women to be liked. And you talk about um, this herd mentality that it's normal. It's normal herd mentality that the herd protects us from being eaten. Our need to belong still sits at the heart of everything we do. Makes sense. And here's the thing you say, here's where it gets tricky. As women, we learn that the best way to belong and thus survive is to make ourselves pleasing, to be what other people want us to be, to look like what other people want us to look look like, to behave to speak, to smell, Mm -hmm. to sound, Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Everything is about being liked. And it's a prison. It is an absolute prison. And what's amazing, absolutely. And I lived in that likability cage like every other woman I did. And we have this social media system, you know, do you, you be you, right? Get out there, be fierce. But we're doing it from inside a box that's this big. Right. From a tiny little box, right? Can't can't go in this direction, can't go in that direction because we'll be unsafe. We won't be loved. Right. And, you know, there's this heartbreaking moment and it's not a moment, it's a, it's a little period in a young woman's life. And we really contract this thanks to maybe a a handful of feminist psychologists like Carol Gilgan and Lynn Brown, but right around 12, 13, 14, young women make this deal. They make a deal that it's more important to have a relationship than have a self. Yep. It's more important to have relationships than to be related and known. Right. It's more important that I be liked than I be real. Yep. And this just never doesn't break my heart. It never doesn't break my heart. And I spend a lot of time talking to parents and talking to women in general about how can we shift that decision? It's a decision that is unconscious. It's a decision that they learn from practice that all of me is not welcome. And so I'll go away. 
because it's triage. You know, if we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? After food and water is safety. After safety is belonging. And then there's self-esteem. Well, it's a trifecta with liked. We get them all. We get them all. Our basic needs so we won't die. And it just breaks my heart again and again, this deal with the cultural system in a sense that in order to take care of myself, I have to abandon myself. Mm -hmm. What on earth is going on? We have a self-care system that thinks it's okay that we need a post-it note on our computer to say we matter, that that's normal. What? Why is that normal? So we do self-care, we buy self-care, but we're not self-caring. Yeah. And this is what I'm trying to really shift the whole paradigm there where we step into our own shoes again and redefine safety. Safety is the truth. We're not responsible for the results of that truth. We're responsible to show up in the truth. That's it. And for women, that is one of the hardest things for us to do. Yeah. So So, you mentioned that this is systemic, right? That this is culturally bound. I mean, if it's starting at 13 and 14, um, how do you defy a this cultural behavior? I mean, it's like, how do you... How do you break away from that at the individual level? How do you impact change at the individual level? Okay. And so, Amy, I'm going to make it individual, okay? Go for it. Okay. So, I have a lot of kids. Um, A lot of kids. (laughs) She has nine. I have nine kids. If you can see Nancy's face right now. Yeah. You have nine. How do you remember their name? It's hard. I know. <laughs> I mix I'm, them up I'm a lot. trying to remember two. No. Well, I okay. just spent a lot of years thinking that that was what filled me up inside and gave me purpose. And that was how I was best to be barefoot and pregnant. And I didn't know how to fill myself up with self. And so I filled myself up with babies and I don't regret any one of them. My goodness. I mean, you know, I, I I wouldn't, it's one of those things where my goodness, I don't regret it, but would I wish that on someone else? Maybe not though, you know, (laughs) but anyway, but okay. So here's the thing Two. I'm going to just true confession here. My two older daughters, um, my oldest daughter is a spitfire. She's adopted. I didn't get to play into her life as much. We adopted her much later in life. Um, She came into the family much later in life. But my two daughters that I did raise from itty bitty, you know, from birth, um, one of them is 26. The other one is 22. And I did not help them intentionally fill themselves up with self. I perpetuated the perspective of the likability cage. I was living it and I actually perpetuated it in them. I actually encouraged them not realizing it. Okay. So I'm going to, we're going to ask you for individual advice and I'm going to say, moms, if you're out there, take note. If you've got older ones and you've got younger ones, 
There is self-forgiveness. There is learning to change yourself right now to be a better example so that even your adult children can begin to change because I've made some big life changes in the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. And my older daughters are taking notes. Thank God, because I did such a disservice to them, but there's still time. So I have a just turned 14 year old. So now here's our pointed, make it individual question. All your statements in your book, the likability cage, the perfect woman, always and forever available, hypervigilance to what other people think dismissing ourselves. What we need is outside of us, staying silent, being invisible, valued, only forgiving and serving, blaming ourselves for our needs. I'm just selfish. All of those things you talk about, how can I help my just turned 14 year old who is crying to me at night with the desire to be liked? How can I help her? And let me just well, tack on to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> As a counselor, I hear this from teenage girls all the time. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So first, can I just back up for a second, Terry, and just offer you a big empathic uh, forgiveness hug there in the sense of we're not immune to conditioning. I don't care how conscious we are now. The fact that that's where you were at that age, okay. That was the best you had was to believe in the system. No shame there, no blame. You did what you thought would actually make them happier. I, yeah, yeah. I thought I was doing right by them. Absolutely. And we, Get to awareness when we get to awareness, period. We cannot rush a process that is its own. In, in a sense, it's, it's, uh, outside of our even, uh, control when it appears, right? So, uh, no blame there at all about that. And all we have as human beings, we don't have perfection. We don't have 2020 sight. What we have is the power of once we wake up to go back and start doing it differently. Yes. Go forward and start doing it differently. Go back and talk about what didn't work. That's the human journey. It's not that we get it right the first time out of the gate. We don't. None of us do. But that we're aware enough to own, I didn't get it. I was a product of the system. Right? That's why it's so powerful. Because you're the norm. I'm the norm. Amy's the norm. We're all the norm, right? Until we're not. Right. So that out of the way, what I would say with the young, with your daughter that's 14, and then with your clients, Amy, you know, first and foremost is awareness. Because what we lack when we're just identified with the culturing, you know, a culturization and the conditioning, we're lacking awareness of the messages we're receiving. Mm -hmm. And this enormous conflict for your 14-year-old of, God, it's so hard to want to be liked and also feel like you can't say, oh, I, I really want the taco, not the enchilada. And even that could lose you a, a place in your group. 
Yep. Even that small, like you wear this kind of thing. And it's a time in life where it can feel really tricky, right? To stay with what you want because it feels like the risks are so big. So my goodness, if somebody had brought our attention to the struggle, wow, now I have choices. So when I go with the group, right, I know what I'm doing. I've got myself and I'm making a conscious choice. I'm empowered. What happens that we want to prevent from happening with your daughter and with your clients is that we all of this goes on in the dark. So we start making that trade without knowing it. And then sooner or later, the authentic place atrophies. It atrophies, it dries up, it stops whispering to us, it stops shouting to us. And when we go to look for who are we, we have no idea anymore. Because it's so long been dismissed that it doesn't even have no embers left in its fire. So as long as we have awareness and then we can offer something small, like what about if we practiced, practice telling the truth, practice putting yourself a little bit and let's test out the reality of what do you really lose? Because we're so sure we lose everything. We're going to lose all the things we care about. So we're not going to do that. So let's play with it a little bit and test the boundaries, right? And then in my own home, if I'm you, I'm mom, in my own home, I am really modeling as a mom that whatever you bring, it's welcome. Whatever you bring, there is no place where you can bring a truth. If it's true, I want to understand it. I want to be with it. I want to see if I can help it, right? But there isn't in the home that sense of there is this incredible um, uh, rule for the bond, right? There is a way I can be and the bond is intact and a way that I can't be. We we cannot have that in our own home. Mm-hmm. So then actually, young women are so incredibly insightful and wise and they do start to parse who are the people I can be real with and who are the people I can't. And that is a great bicycle to be able to ride. So our jobs, first and foremost, is to bring awareness to the real struggle they're in. It's real. Society wants us a certain way and they're going to face judgments and labels and boxes. Listen, I asked for my dressing on the side yesterday for something I didn't want it on. And I got 35 looks from 35 people. But I'm a grown woman. I can take that, right? The high maintenance, neurotic, anal, controlling, whatever. I don't care. But when we're 14, that's survival, right? So we do care. So we want them to understand that that is a risk. They're not making it up. But that they're bigger than that. If they know who they are, that they're not any of those things, they don't like the ingredients in the dressing. If they can stay true to what is actually true and their intentions, they're safe. They have to, that's what our job is, to teach them to stay aligned and on the side of, What's true for you? Not the crazy story that's going to be made of it, 
the cultural story, not all the labels and judgments, but what do you know to be true about you? If we can hold that, we're always safe. Yeah. And it's not, this journey is not going to be without a lot of pushback, I would venture to say, um, in my personal experience, <laughs> that, um, you know, there's, there's laming, laming yeah. of you. Right. And, and, and calling out, um, all the things you say in, in a later chapter, when you're talking about all the things that, uh, that women are called, how dare you yeah. be so selfish? You're a control freak. Um, you, what else are you going to demand? You don't just have mm-hmm. needs. You're needy. You're impossible mm-hmm. to please. That's why you're so unpa- unhappy. You're one of those angry women. Do you have to be so aggressive? There's too much of you. Um, are you high maintenance or what? And so these are the things. Okay. So listeners, if you are motivated and you're like, yes, I want to start making these changes. I want to start knowing how to fill myself up with myself instead mm-hmm. of other people's approval. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's going to be pushback. There has been, I have, I have felt it. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. significant other, from your own kids, they're going to tell stories about you. They're going to laugh about you, get sarcastic, you know, oh my gosh. And so her bean burrito had chicken in it and she went back and she demanded another bean burrito. Uh-oh, Terry froze. I think so. Uh-oh. There you are. Yeah. No, oh, the back. bean burrito okay. almost killed you. Yeah. Oh. But, but anyway, <laughs> you're going to be attacked. Probably you're because. You're going to be attacked. Yeah. Yeah, that there's going to be pushback, that there right. there's going to be labels. And dang, it's going to be hard to not be angry, to actually get angry yes. and yes. sort of punch back, but to just yes. be self-assured. Well. That's okay. You can say that, but my need is to have the bean burrito without chicken in it. So I'm going to get this bean burrito. And part of that, I so get that. And I have so lived that. And part of what helps us stay in our own shoes there is our heart has to open to what it feels like to be so misjudged, what it feels like to be so put in a box what it feels like to be up against this gigantic locomotive train of judgment that's so unfair, right? When we really feel that, we're on our own side. We're, again, on our own side, and it's really hard. So I think your point is really a wise one there, which is expect the war. Expect it. And particularly when you're changing a system, oh, now, look at you. Now you're all in power. Oh, look at you. You have a new, right? And then when you don't bite the hook, oh, you're not going to bite the right? It goes and it goes and it goes. And you're staying with something really profound is happening. I am changing the entire way I live. I am changing my relationship with myself, because part of what I'm addressing in this book is that the the end result of this whole patriarchal system is that we end up in this incredibly distorted and unfriendly and uh, 
suspicious relationship with ourselves. Because whatever could be appearing in us, this truth becomes a potential enemy, becomes something that can be judged, becomes something that that can get us into danger. So we're at war with what's arising inside ourselves. So we have to turn towards that and welcome that ourselves. We have to allow that, not judge it, give it a space, empathize with it, validate it, right? And once we can do that, it's very sad that that's coming at us, but we're not inclined to betray it, to turn on ourselves and join the enemy. Okay. Yeah. Does that make some sense? Absolutely. It's it's so yeah. hard. It is so it is hard. So hard. Cycles. It is. Can I tell you that I am an off the menu orderer coming back <laughs> to the dressing on the side. Yeah. And I have been doing this work for 10 years with women specifically this work. And there isn't one time that my tummy doesn't clench up that I don't internally brace myself for what's coming at me uh, when I ask for anything that is inconvenient. Yep. Not one time in my life. And years back, you know, I would throw myself under the, oh, I'm so neurotic. I know, I know. I have insulted myself in every language around the globe. I have done that. I don't anymore. It's like what, what Mark Twain said, you know, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. I just say it. And then I put a period on the end. And I have learned over time. That's it. I would like, I'd actually like it um, not so well done, period. Not to make you comfortable. I know I'm so tightly wired. Every time we do that, what we're doing is we're, untethering ourselves from the authentic core, our, our power source, our vitality source, our the, the very source we're disconnected from, which causes our depletion and our exhaustion. So it's not just, oh, you know, it's my problem. I it's, it's not just that. It's, it's death by a thousand omissions, death by a thousand. It's okay. Death by leaving a thousand orders of toast covered in butter that we asked for no butter on the plate and not sending them back. They're all the same thing. I'm just giving very tight examples. Right. But they're all the severing of our relationship with our own experience. Yeah. And that's so stop apologizing for what That's what want. I was going to say. Yeah. Stop apologizing. Stop apologizing for you. Because that's what we're really apologizing for, that I'm not showing up in the packaging that suits your needs, right? So I'm showing up actually as I am. And I have myself. So if that makes you disappointed or displeased, it's not that I don't care. See, people go straight to this idea, oh, now you're just this solo entity, you know, now you're a man hater. Now you're all these things. None of this, none of that is true. What it's saying is I can say that and I can be who I am kindly and respectfully, right? But I am not responsible for your experience of that. I don't have to manage that. So I don't have to turn who I am into someone that works for you. 
right? Funny thing is we as women, we're disappointed and displeased all the time. We manage it, but we have this idea that no one else should have to be in any way disappointed by how we show up or have to do anything extra, like write down on the pad, you know, no butter. That That's too much of a bother, right? So it's it's not apologizing for not being exactly who works for you. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's so, going to be hard to stop. Talk a little it bit is hard. About, it is hard. Yeah. You say yeah. having needs means I don't appreciate what I have. You wrote, you talk about that in your book. Yeah. Um, and that I like, so I worked on that. Like, you know, I really need to work on contentment. Right. And so talk yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About well, I was thinking of a, a friend of mine who was taken out. To, I think I use her example, taken out to dinner, uh, this lovely, lovely, you know, sushi meal, none of which she wanted. It was this incredibly expensive meal. She likes big portions of food. I, I don't know why we're we're on the restaurant today, but today <laughs> seems to be restaurant day. But it's I don't relatable. Know it's really yeah. And yeah. and what she wanted was like a big hearty for her birthday. And they had this tradition that every year they would surprise her, her daughter and her husband with where they would take her. So they took her this particular time to this very fancy sushi place. And her husband was out of a job at the time. So he had no income. And it was like $300 a plate for like two tiny pieces of tuna. And so, you know, they're sitting down and they seat them. It's during COVID. So they seat them outside. So the buses are going by. If I tell you, I mean, she was hilarious when she recounted the story, but she wanted nothing from that. Now it's her birthday. It's her birthday. But if she didn't sit there and smile and take... And when I asked her, why, why wouldn't she say something since it was for her? She said, well, but if I said something, then I wouldn't be appreciating all the effort that they did and all that it meant. And that, that example. So she sat there and they got something like a $600 bill. They went, they went to the diner after, I think. But the point was none of it had to do with her. None of it was what she wanted, but she would have been the Debbie Downer who would be saying, oh, but I don't see all that you tried to make me happy. You thought I wanted this. It all came from love, but she needed to take care of their feeling appreciated more than she needed, even on that day to get what she wanted. Yeah. And we do that in thousand different ways every single day that we have this Again, it's completely dualistic, polarized way of thinking. If I deeply appreciate and love you and love that you wanted to make me happy and not but and this is not actually what makes me happy, that no one will be able to tolerate that, that their own ego fragility will be so weak that they will be insulted by that and that that's going to trump everything. and. That's heartbreaking, too, for me, because their lived experience is that we need to take care of that person feeling appreciated more than we need to be honest and say, I so love you and appreciate and I don't want this. 
not allowed. She later told her daughter and her husband how that had impacted her. And their first response was to be angry and to be, oh, here she goes. She didn't get and she doesn't appreciate anything and nothing is enough. They went there and then she stayed with it and said, but that was my very fear. That's why I didn't. And they then were able to receive it and actually hear the sadness, the great sadness that she was in the bathroom actually weeping on her birthday at this incredible restaurant. Because even there with the two people that loved her most in the world, it wasn't safe to be honest about what she wanted, which was none of this. Yeah. Yeah. So we do that. Every which way. Another client of mine, you know, she she was given some present, you know, from her. She, she got a present from her girlfriend, and the the present had nothing to do with her, you know, nothing whatsoever. It was like a generic present, and it was like she went online. The candlesticks. Candle. Yes, the, the candlesticks. Candle <laughs> and and I think of that because she said to me, of course, privately. You know, one day I would love to receive something that actually feeds me, that actually feels like I'm known, but never in a million years would she share that. Yeah. What What are these relationships we're calling love, where our job is to take care of how the other is experienced by us and how we're perceived as, you know, uh, grateful, not grateful, or uh, impossible these are not real relationships. And this is what I want to change. And it starts by our taking the risk and being willing to get hit with that painful judgment and staying in it, staying in it. Right. All right. And being okay with being okay with um, walking that out. Being okay with that being the the story where the, the, the husband and the daughter understood that is beautiful. That's wonderful, but it may not end that way. Well, that's what I was going to ask about, actually. Like (laughs) what happens, what happens? And, and let me just throw this out there. I, I can't relate to any of this. Um, I honestly, like, I can't relate to, to feeling small or I was raised by a super strong woman and, right. And, and my husband has always appreciated my independence and, so I like this phenomenon is not oppressing me personally, but I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. it all mm-hmm. the time in friends mm-hmm. and clients. And so what happens though, when, when you have a woman who wants to change, right. Who wants to take hold of their life, stand up for their needs, live their truth and their mm-hmm. spouse pushes back. Right. What happens? Well, right. Great question. So one thing I want to say, though, and this is where it's a little tricky. A large percentage of the women who um, I work with, who are finding their own shoes and coming home to themselves, they present as tremendously powerful. That's what's so paradoxical. Because it's really interesting. They've found a way to make it all work, right? They've found a way to make everybody see them in a certain light. And they're happy. It's not that they're not happy, right? But 
there's something broken in the system, which is even that powerhouseness, even all that has found a way to take a form that is acceptable, that works. So there's still an inauthenticity in the women that seem most empowered, right? Not all, but it is, I think, an illusion to imagine that the woman who benefits from this presents as sort of beaten down and small. Very often, they don't. They're just so good at making everyone else okay. And they usually get to my office when they're bone tired from becoming what's needed and doing it so powerfully and so well. And they realize they have no idea what they need. And they haven't spent any time really deeply inquiring, you know, what feeds them. But they become these powerhouse versions and everyone loves them and they're experts in everything and they're this and they're that. But um, there's something missing about, but what's for me? What's really for me? So, so just to, just to point to that. And then in terms of your question about when it's not acceptable, when the spouse says, I don't want this. Well, that's, that's a moment, isn't it? Because that is a very personal choice. Do we get back in the cage? Or once we've realized that the likability cage opens from the inside, can we get back in the cage? Can we get back into a relationship where the rules of the bond are, I can't show up fully? Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can't. And Terry, you're smiling. But sometimes we can renegotiate that. What's important more than anything is not the relationship with the partner. What's important is that we are on our own side now. And so we're not shaming and blaming ourselves for the parts of us that have been labeled unwanted. Once we're that person, we're so fundamentally changed that we can't say what we'll do, right? Because that person might also say, oh, you you, you don't like that part of me, right? I'm going to go hang out with friends that do and be completely fine with that. But we're talking about moving from codependence to independence. So once we have ourselves, and we're not going to throw ourselves under the bus for parts of us that we don't choose, we don't, we're not to blame for, but just what we're made of, um, then we have a lot of choices of how we want to be with the people in our lives. Okay. Does, that, does that make sense? It's not a make or break. It's not a make or break. But it, I, I liked what rang true for me or what I felt was super, super relevant was um, that uh, maybe <laughs> it's not about the relationship. If you're making that change, you're coming out of that cage and there's people around you that will not accept that, um, that, that will continue to label you as mm-hmm. control freak too much demanding all those things that I think what you're saying is if you're going to stay in that relationship, then just make it not about the relationship, make it about relationship with self. 
And so that exactly. those those two people can coexist together. But but my most important relationship now is my relationship with self is accepting that I'm not too much. I'm not a control freak when I have a need. I'm I'm not demanding when I don't have to agree with everything somebody else says, you know, that exactly. That I'm exactly. Okay. Yeah. You you you've got the hang of this this system and that sometimes we also get to the place where we're just not interested in being that character in their movie. Right. So we understand that they need us to be that controlling, hysterical, whatever it is that is, is your character. And we're just, we're not interested in stepping into that role anymore. So that may mean we leave. Or that may mean we stay, but but it it's like Teflon. It's like, oh, oh, that, oh, you're needing me to be that. And I know that that's not controlling. That actually upsets my stomach. Or I know that that's not hysterical. That's actually me having a response. Or, oh, I know that I'm angry about that because that thing is wrong. Not that I'm an angry woman who's bitter and all of these other things. Because the thing I'm angry about is actually needing to change whatever is being on our side we're there so then you you run out your movie you write your narrative it's sad because we don't want to be seen negatively by those we love ever of course we're human but it doesn't define our self-experience yeah so good And so then that speaks to back to the culture, back to um, the narratives that have created the beliefs of the spouse who is not supportive, right? Who has this view of their, of their wife as small and subservient and whatever it is, whatever labels, um, the negative labels as well. Um, It's almost like, the 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 male's narrative needs to be rewritten because where did you get that message in the first place that that's the definition of a woman well this is co-created right this is you know the pushback on this is oh you must be a man hater you're anti-men this is co-created and it only helps men as well to evolve their version of women to include a much more expansive uh, presentation. So if, you know, if, if women are going to evolve, men also need to evolve in, in wanting also to be in relationship with real people. Right. So to, to, to seek to understand the woman rather than to throw her in a box. Right. I have incredible faith in men that ultimately men want that too. I really do believe that. I don't, I don't think we can evolve alone in this and it will only serve our relationships to expand the parameters of what they can contain. So I, I, I see this, you know, second pushback, which means that this means that we're rejecting other genders. there's nothing to do with that. This all has to be co-created a new system, which welcomes the full, the full incarnation 
of a woman as well. And that she first and foremost, like Terry, you're saying, welcomes her own full presentation. Yeah. So yeah. I want to, there's a lot of pushback too. I will say just one other thing, which is about this, you know, there's a big push right now about interdependence, right? You know, Nancy, you're creating independent women, but, you know, with, with climate change and with the state of the world, don't we need to be thinking about interdependence? Aren't you pushing us? It's enough with independence. To me, that is another code for get back in the box. Get back oh in the my box goodness. because right? We we have to be a me before we can be a we. We have been so conditioned to take care of the collective. We're really good at that. And we're neurologically wired to be more empathic, to have neurochemicals that actually have parts of our brain focused on crying and you know all sorts of things I won't go into that are proven in MRI machines. So this whole storyline of, oh, you know, enough with independence, we haven't gotten the independence yet, and we don't have to worry about the empathic collective piece. We got that. So not to fall for that and feel guilty about, you know, the state of the world and how would you care about yourself? It's it's plan B to keep us, you know, in the lane. Yeah. Yep. So, Terry, I know you have another question, uh, follow on, um, but let me read a word from our sponsor and then you can ask that question before we wrap up. Sound good? Okay. Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, we've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. Learning RX would like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give Learning RX a call at 866-BRAIN01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back with Nancy Collier. And I just wanted to um, kind of wrap this up the way your book wraps up. I think it is so unbelievably profound. Um, a couple of phrases that were really, really impacting to me um, that I'm just going to highlight because they meant a lot to me. Um, the first one that you, uh, you're you focusing on, kind of you end up with in your book is healing the it's my fault default. And we talked mm-hmm. about that just a little bit briefly, like Amy talked about, stop apologizing for self, to stop apologizing for ordering that that dressing on the side. I love it. Say, make the statement, put a period in the end. I love it. Instead of, I'm sorry. I know it's a hassle. All the things that we do as women. The other one. Wait, I I want to stop there. So talk a little bit about why. So that is our default automatically. Like we've just been conditioned to say it's my fault. We've been conditioned to take the blame for anyone else's discomfort. Mm -hmm. anyone, any situation where there's something wrong, 
any situation where someone is not okay, we are conditioned from the time we're born that we're valued and we're loved if it's our responsibility to fix it. And therefore, we are to blame for it. It keeps us also with a sense of control because if we're to blame, we can, we can control it. We don't really, in those moments where we are taking the blame and fixing it, we're a little disconnected from empathy because we're not actually understanding what's going on. We're just in such a rush to fix it because it's our responsibility. But it is a conditioning that is so deep in us that if something is wrong, it's because of us. I hate to say it, it's a kind of awful negative narcissism in the sense of we're the center of the universe, we're the the one to blame at the center of the universe. So, you know, a client walked to her husband last yesterday, she shared with me, you know, he walks in the door, she walks in the door after a long day of work and um, he has the day off and she's starving and she's been on the train for an hour coming home and there's nothing on the stove. And her first thought is, oh my God, did was I not that nice to him this morning? You know, and then when his friend came over on Saturday, that joke I made, did I emasculate him? First thought out of her mind, how did I cause this? So we have to learn. And we do this in all sorts of ways. We, we do this by becoming aware of how much we take the blame immediately and then set out to fix it. Then she starts, says nothing, but starts rubbing his shoulders counteracting the story she's making up in her head you know the narrative she goes into correcting her own narrative but we have to recognize that this is we've been trained that our job on earth as i said in the beginning is to take care of other people's needs so when that doesn't happen we failed that's the natural link what did we do wrong we did something wrong to cause this person to not be okay so we become aware of it then we have to start to insert new thoughts into the storyline. Like, it's possible that someone has their own reason for not being okay. That's not about us, right? Maybe I didn't cause this problem and maybe I can't cure it, right? We start to just raise the idea that something else could be true. And then we start practicing. So we start seeking to understand, hey, did you have a bad day? But not to blame, not from a place of, and I did this, what did I do? But what's going on? You know, um, we might even say, gosh, I'm starving. I, I was hoping that you would have something on the stove, um, but it seems like you're not okay. But coming from that place that we're trying on, again, we're faking it until we believe it, that what's ailing them is not about us. And when we really get the hang of that, then the, all our energy is freed up. It's like we've unplugged the plug because things can be wrong and we can care about it. It's not a recipe for being these sort of bowls in China shop. It's quite the opposite. It's I can listen. I can empathize because I'm not assuming I did this to you, right? It's not about me. Now, again, codependence to independence. We're actually listening from a place, heaven forbid, that's separate. We're listening without blame. So that shift, wow, wow. You know, I remember I I had a child who was about five at the time, and it was at a birthday party, and it was chaos. 
complete chaos. And you would think, oh, I'm responsible. And I could just watch it and sort of let it be because I wasn't to blame for this. This is five-year-olds being five-year-olds, but I didn't have to be to blame for it. Now I can have, you know, with my husband can have a really big problem and be upset about something. And I can really listen because I didn't do anything wrong to create it. Changes your entire experience of other people and other situations. And that's from conditioning. That is pure on conditioning. Yeah. So we are out of time. In fact, we've run over time. This has been such a great conversation. Um, So we do need to wrap up, but we would love to have you back um, so that we can talk some more. Um, Nancy actually has five books, not just this book. And so there's uh, so much wisdom that we can uh, glean from another conversation with Nancy Collier. Um, So thank you so much for spending this hour with us today, Nancy. Um, Been a great benefit to us and to our listeners. Um, My pleasure. And I hope it can help. I hope that it can help. I really do. And, and, and Terry, I really appreciate you sharing your personal journey a little bit during our conversation today, because you are walking the walk and I really appreciate your change. It really touches me to see this is the work in action, that your life changes and who you are changes. And um, it, it's a beautiful thing. And we need it more and more and more for us women. Thank you. Yeah. So listeners, if you would like more information about Nancy and her work, her website is nancycollier.com. And that's C-O-L-I-E-R.com. You can connect with her on Twitter at in Collier or on LinkedIn. And we will put all of those links and handles in the show notes, including a link um, on how to purchase her book, The Emotionally Exhausted Woman. So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. If you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube and you can find us on social media at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya.